Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone. My name is Debbie Grubb, and I have the honor of chairing the Florida Council of the Blind Public Education We are thrilled to have all of you coming tonight to our general advocacy training session. Decided to do this because, as is the case every state in ACB, we're not going to Capitol Hill in person this year. And although that was a big blow to all of us, we realized having made that decision, and we decided that one of this would be that we could bring people into our Hill visit appointments virtually that were never around or unable to go in person. So I'm going to introduce to you presenters. And what we're going to do is try to give a toolbox training session of the essentials that you need to begin the process of doing meaningful advocacy. And it is the hope that these tools will come in handy for you, whether you are doing your Hill visits or on behalf of your affiliate. So without further ado, I'm to introduce each of our panelists. And as I call their names so that you will hear their voices, they're going to say hello to you. And as we do that, we're going to begin our agenda, our program for the evening. Our first panelist is president of ACB, Dan Spoon. Dan, say hello. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were going on the agenda. I, hello, it's Dan. Glad to be here. To, uh, happy to be here tonight. Thank you for inviting me, Debbie, and I look forward to a very informative uh, panel discussion. Well, I'm sure you'll add greatly to it. Is Clark here? Okay. We're going he to is. He is. Yes, on. Debbie, I, I am here. Hi, everyone. This is Clark Rockfall. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind, and thank you so much for the invitation to participate this evening. We're glad to have you, Clark. And the next, Jeff Tom. Good evening, all the way from Sacramento. Thank you to the Florida Council of the Blind and Debbie for holding this event, and I'm you know thrilled to be here. Great. Our next panelist is Jim Crotch. I've not seen him come back in yet, Debbie. Jim will be here. He he is a member of the ACB board, a member of the Florida Council of the Blind. And we next have Gabriel Lopez Cafati. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Debbie, for having us. And uh, I look forward to sharing some exciting advocacy experiences and, and tools for everyone. Oh, calling from Miami, Florida, by the way. Good. And our final center is Mr. Doug Hall. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Debbie, for inviting me. I really appreciate it, although I'm sure a lot of people have a lot more knowledge than I do. Uh, also, I want to thank ACB for allowing us to do this. Um, it's great information, and I'm looking forward to sharing some of my thoughts with all the other wonderful panelists. Very good. So we are now going to begin our program in earnest. And the people that you are going to be hearing from first are, um, oops, here we go, are um, Dan Spoon, Doug Hall, and Gabriel Lopez Cafati. And gentlemen, um, I'm going to, we're going to read the question. You will please um, present in the order in which I called you. And when you speak, say your name again before you do so that everyone will know who you are. This is a very important question. And I think 
I think that if you don't get anything else out of this presentation, which I certainly hope you do, this question is of key importance. Why do we need you? Wait a minute. Why do we need you, our members and friends, to add your voices and stories to our advocacy efforts? So let's go for it. Dan? Well, thank you, Debbie. This is Dan Spoon from Orlando, Florida, the ACB, our ACB president. And uh, I really think there is just so much strength in numbers. And it's really important for the blind and visually impaired community to be fully represented. And so this really is a unique opportunity for many people to get involved that normally do not have uh, the wherewithal, either financially or work-life balance, to attend a, a seminar for several days in Washington, D.C. So now the, the legislative seminar is coming to you on Monday the 22nd and Tuesday the 23rd of February. And it's really going to be a wonderful opportunity to raise your voice and nothing, uh, Gabriel and Doug and others could speak to this, but nothing makes you feel better than to have the opportunity to meet with the offices of your elected representatives and senators and actually share your personal story and tie it back to how uh, advocating for, for specific imperatives, legislative imperatives, can truly change the lives of us, of blind and visually impaired people. It's powerful, it's uplifting, it's energizing, and I really appreciate everybody coming and being involved today, and I'm just excited to have our members uh, take advantage of this opportunity. Doug, you're up. Okay, thank you, Debbie. This is Doug Hall again. Um, I've been an adv- advocate for many years, I think starting back when I was in elementary school. And um, it's, gotten, it's gotten worse. Um, I retired in 2013 so I could devote more time to advocating. So advocating is important. Question is, why do we need you, our members and our friends? That's a great question, important question. We need you because numbers are important. Um, that's one of the answers. When leaders look at issues, they want to see how many people are focused on getting that issue done. If we have one or two people doing it, they're not going to pay attention. So one of the things that's very important is that we need numbers out there to, to say we want this done. Um, and as you know, Dan already said, this, this whole thing with our legislative seminar is so critical. We get the opportunity to go to the, the, the Hill to talk to our representatives and to, to educate them about what needs that we feel is important for them to participate in. And they look for that kind of thing. You know, the representatives are our employees. They work for us as citizens. They want to hear from us. So it's very important that um, that we all participate, that we get out there and, and say what we think. Um, those numbers are very important. The other thing that's important, why do we need you? Because we need you because the legislators, the leaders that we talk to, want to hear from us. We want to hear from you, our, 
our colleagues, um, our supporters, our members, our friends, whatever it is, you all have ideas, you all have experiences, you've all learned and done things. So it's very important that the knowledge you have, we let other people know. Because frankly, the legislators, the leaders we're talking to have their experiences, but they want to hear what we think. So it's very important that our members get involved and are out there and speak on behalf of what they feel, what their experiences are, but to speak to the issues and why those issues must be dealt with, why we are concerned that the leaders do what we feel is necessary. Thank you, Doug. Okay, Gabriel, you're up. Thanks, Debbie. Again, this is Gabriel Lopez Cafari. Um, I think the basic part of the importance of why we need you out there listening to us uh, to advocate is because advocacy on Capitol Hill is basically, the way I see it, is basically humanizing the experience and humanizing the imperatives that we're bringing forth. Um, it's bringing that human face in front and putting it in front of our legislators. And like Doug said, they are our employees. Um, it's reminding them, hey, I'm a constituent of yours. And, uh, you know, I have, I have power <laughs> in my vote. And uh, I'm, I'm exerting that power on uh, this, this uh, imperative, this piece of legislation that we're bringing forth affects me directly as a human, as a citizen, as a voter, as your constituent. So it's a way of letting them know that it's not just a piece of paper and that with their support on the floor, they can change many things for our lives. They can better and improve our lives. So it's basically bringing them a real life example of a constituent that is affected by the work they do or they don't do on the floor at Capitol Hill. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's bringing that power. We don't need to be experts in the matter. We just need to show uh, show our face and sit in front of them and let them know this piece of legislation or this proposed legislation sitting on your desk, this can make or break my professional life. This can make or break um, the way I move around. This can make or break the way I interact in society and the way I contribute to society. So it brings that extra or that important, that vital piece of humanity to the legislations that we're pu pushing forth. And Obviously, like both Dan and Doug said, the more the merrier, you know, numbers, uh, numbers have power. Thank you, Gabriel. And now we're going to move on to our second topic. And our presenters are Jim, Jeff, Tom, Jim Crott and Clark Rockville. And they're going to be answering the question, what should we what should be considered when choosing an issue for inclusion in an organization's advocacy agenda? and what determines where and how the issue will be addressed. So let's get started with Jeff. Hello. All right, Clark, are you there? I am. Jeff, you Why might be on begin? And if Jeff, if Jeff, um, if Jeff can come in. No, I'm there. Sorry. Okay, go I, for it. I, then. I muted myself and then. Um, okay, so that's, go, a, that's a very complex question. Uh, this is Jeff Tom and. Uh, and it's also a compound question, and it's kind of interrelated. But let's look at the let's look at the first part of it first. Um, I what determines what issues uh, an organization should advocate for? 
The first um, variable, in my opinion, is what issues we find to be the most important. And there's two areas, I think, to look at. One, the blindness community in general, and two, the specific members of your organization, whether it's your local chapter or in this case for the you know legislative seminar, all of ACB, which issues do we find most important? Um, uh, the second consideration to me is, is the advocacy issue achievable in terms of the results that you want? For example, Let's say you want to advocate on the issue of having more um, accessible pedestrian signals. So you could either advocate for having these signals at every corner, or you could advocate for having them whenever a new one is being installed or one is being replaced. And you might determine that even though you'd love them on every corner, it really isn't achievable to get that. So maybe you want to advocate for the latter and try to get them installed in, in those specific instances of replacement or new installation. Um, another uh, determinant, I think, is do you have the resources to achieve the particular advocacy issue? Um, some issues are so complex and require so much clout because there is so much opposition that you may not have the resources to pull it off. So you may decide to use your resources in a different area, at least for the time being, and, and hold off on an issue. So essentially, I think there's a number of things to be considered when you're advocating, and these are just a few of them. Thank you. Okay. Clark, you're up. Absolutely. Thank you, Debbie. Hello again, everyone. This is Clark Rockfall with the ACB National Office. And Jeff... Jeff made some really good points. It's hard to follow follow Jeff. Uh, I think back to last year's DC leadership meetings, um, the board meetings as well as the legislative seminar, and the focus on individuals and organizations being able to set smart goals, right? Goals that are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Um, and it, I feel like Jeff and I are on the same wavelength because he touched on a lot of those. And I just want to build off of Jeff's example of transportation and environmental access related issues. If you are working on accessible pedestrian signals, there's you could have multiple approaches. Um, it's not real, realistic for the ACB national office to advocate with every specific city and municipality and local department of transportation to get accessible pedestrian signals installed at every intersection, right? But fortunately, we have multi, multiple layers and levels to ACB as an organization. So it would be realistic for the ACB national office to work with the federal, the U.S. Department of Transportation, that when the the Manual for Uniform Traffic Control Devices, or MUTCD, is amended, that it include language around accessible pedestrian signals. And the national office, as well as our cross-disability partners, our government partners, and our 
environmental access and transportation committees are well positioned to focus on that specific task. Um, you know, there's a timeline for when comments are being received in that review process. Uh, so that's a that's a worthwhile advocacy goal. And then meanwhile, on the state and local level, back to what Jeff was saying, our state affiliates as well as local chapters and individuals can work to build relationships and build influence with local policymakers and really influence them on the importance of how accessible pedestrian signals impact the lives of their constituents on a daily basis. Thank you, Clark. Jim, I'm hoping lots of times when we hear locally, we have an issue and we go, we need a bill, we need legislation. So I'd like it, if you don't mind, to address the second part of the question, because Jeff and Clark have done a dynamite job with the first part. How do we determine once we say, oh. once we say we have an issue? How do we determine how best to advocate it, where to take it? So give us some general rules about how to determine where an issue belongs in terms of who we, whom we go to to advocate for its resolution. Okay, Jim, go. Okay, the actual timing uh, and situation in your environment at the time that you're going to be uh, arguing a particular impairment is extremely important, relevant, and current. Does your subject meet those issues? Does it have sex appeal? What is the current climate and relevance of the issue and impact on the group for whom you are advocating and the likelihood of having an impact on your targeted audience? Never forget the importance of that likelihood. Um, where and how you address these issues, well, um, what's going on in the world around you? Uh, the climate today is different from the climate two weeks ago, different from the climate three months ago. And you certainly have to adjust what you're talking about, what you're asking for, and what the issues are that you're bringing forward with respect to relevance and whom you're making your presentation on your advocacy issues to. Um, figure out what forum um, you're going to address each issue to and uh, where you can get the most bang for your buck. Resources were talked about earlier. Um, don't take on with the local official uh, something that's really a state issue. Don't take on with uh, the federal government something that belongs with the local governments and the states. Um, so you need to determine, are you talking to uh, who you're talking to and what exactly their jurisdiction and role is? Um, <clears throat> finally, um, with respect to something like voting, the most recent advocacy issue in Florida, uh, urgency was caused by the upcoming November election. Uh, that spurred uh, the need for a prompt resolution to our problem, and it spurred uh, the need to achieve an immediate uh, 
goal of accessibility rather than continuing to deal with entities that were not responding to our problem. Hence, we had to um, resort to litigation. That's always not the way you want to start. That's not the way you want to go. But sometimes you have to look at your timing and the urgency of a situation and make adjustments as you advocate. Debbie, this is Carl. Can I jump in here? Please do. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that Jim mentioned voting. I certainly want to commend the work of Jim and Doug Hall, uh, as well as more. And I, I don't want to forget any names. So I'll just say all of the, the Florida Council of the Blind for the advocacy work that they did in 2020 to expand access to accessible absentee voting. You know, going into 2020, voting was not a legislative imperative for the American Council of the Blind. Our legislative seminar occurred roughly two weeks before a national state of emergency was declared and the nation went on lockdown. And as a result, even for primary elections, uh, states and local governments were putting in place uh, emergency orders so they could still try to conduct uh, safe elections. But as a result, Disability access was not always front of mind when that was occurring, right? So like Jim said, we have this specific and timely issue. Um, The importance cannot be understated to take part in the most democratic of our rights as as Americans. And and I was so proud of ACB as, as an organization of how we all pivoted. You know, we embraced our core values of flexibility and collaboration. So on the national level, we were able to work with the cross-disability community as well as the civil rights community and the Election Assistance Commission to provide educational materials, to coordinate advocacy efforts, Uh, with our affiliates, as well as other partner organizations. And on the state level, this advocacy took many different forms. And a lot of that was determined by the states. So federal uh, elections are, election requirements are federally mandated, but they are implemented on the state and local level. So we couldn't just have a one-size-fits-all policy from the federal government. And that's why the advocacy work, which ultimately led to litigation in Florida, looked different than the advocacy work, which led to legislation in the passage of a bill in West Virginia. And Florida and West Virginia both looked different than the administrative work that was able to be done with the state's existing authority in Tennessee, Kentucky, Maine, and others. So I think voting is a great example of an issue that is specific, measurable, achievable, uh, realistic, and timely, as well as an issue where different modes and methods of advocacy, um, depending on the specific scenario can all achieve the same ultimate goal. Wonderful. We are now going to move on to the next part of what happens. So we've determined an issue. 
We've decided to whom we want to bring it, which policymakers. Now we've got to begin the work of connecting. So this next question, Clark Rockville, Jeff Tom, and Jim Crott will be answering the question, what are the components of successful outreach, e.g., whom do we see? What do we do to bring about that connection? What preparation is required to make the best use of the time? So in other words, how do we get to the people we need to see? And once we've gotten to those people, and usually we don't have much time, especially the first time around when we see them, how do we make the most of that time? And how do we make our connection, our, our um, issue resonate with them? So let's start this time with um, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. <clears throat> the uh, most important thing that I think is in this topic is being prepared. Truly knowing the subject matter about which you're going to talk. <clears throat> being able to understand it, to talk about your issue clearly and simply. You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to use fancy words. In fact, it's better if you don't. Anticipate and think about or discuss answers to anticipated questions. These all have to do with preparation. The benefits and importance here of using personal examples and stories of impact and effects whenever this is possible. I didn't understand this when I was uh, a young professional lawyer sort of growing up and learning the ropes, but the older I've gotten, the more I realize how important it is when I tell my voting story to talk about that poll worker in 2000 screaming across a crowded lobby filled with several hundred members of the public. Friends, with my friends and coworkers, he wants a witness. He doesn't trust me. That spurred me, myself, on to advocacy. You tell a story like that, it makes a difference. Advocating for National Library funding taking into the congressman aide's office a talking book machine. Who thought of that? None other than Dan and Leslie Spoon. Advocating for funding to special education with <clears throat> personal stories relating to your own involvement in special education. Always be, answer questions honestly and truthfully. And Offer to assist your audience by getting information, referring to others that may be more knowledgeable if necessary. Presentations are also good when written summaries of the issue and supporting facts are simple, straightforward, and always written from your heart are presented along with your written testimony. With your oral testimony. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Jeff, you want to add anything? Sure. Although it's pretty tough to uh, add to what Jim has said. He, he pretty much nailed it. Uh, especially when he said that preparation is the most important element to successful advocacy. <laughs> preparation means knowing exactly 
who you need to connect with, who has the power. Is it the committee chair? Is it, you know, the leader of the legislative body you are approaching? Or in some cases, it might be, you know, like a clerk or an administrative official that can make sure that you are able to testify when you want to. When you're giving testimony, well, for example, many times when I would be responsible for giving testimony at a legislative hearing, I would, and they frequently, they would have like a two-person minimum, a maximum. I would not be one of those two people because I, it was my view that I had two members who could probably tell more compelling stories to the legislative body than I could. So I would assign them the time and I'd stay in the background. There were other situations where we really needed to explain the policy involved. And so I did take the lead. And you have to really determine what is necessary. When you are preparing written documents, you probably want to get as much data as you can. But when you're providing um, oral testimony, the personal story is likely to be the most important thing. Thank you. Thank you. Clark? Sure. There's, there's not much to add when following Jim and Jeff. Uh, they both call it being prepared. I refer to it as education. You, know, you have to be the expert on you and the issues that significantly impact you, whether that's you as an individual or your affiliate chapter uh, or community as a whole. And being able to share and educate others on those experiences or communicate uh, your personal experiences dealing with those issues will make for a compelling story. And it's important to know your audience and build your network of individuals who not only have a shared experience, but build a network of individuals or policymakers who understand and are sensitive to the needs that you are expressing. Um, so I think otherwise, Jeff and Jim really did a good job of summing everything up. You all did. Dan, since this is one of your and Leslie's areas of expertise, why don't you talk to us about some of the things you have done when taking trips to Capitol Hill to make an issue real to the policymaker or his, her, their assistant that um, you you were speaking with? Sure. Thanks, Debbie. And I, I think um, I love what everybody's saying, and I think uh, they're, they're hitting on this as well. You're trying to build a relationship. You're trying to, you know, to develop a presence. And so it's, it's been very interesting as we've gone for several years and met many of the representatives' offices from throughout Florida. You know, it means a lot if you're in Kathy Castor's office and you can talk about the fact that you were just over in um, Gus Bilarakis's office talking to Ted Powers about a particular uh, piece of legislation. One's a Republican, one's a Democrat, but they are on the same committee in the House and they they talk on a very frequent basis. And so anything you can do to kind of establish that relationship – 
and let it know let let it let the LA know what it means to you. We have brought low vision devices to show people, uh, you know, why the uh, durable medical equipment for low vision uh, bill is really important to us. Uh, you know, when people can put that magnifier on their paper and it and it lights up to 10 times its normal size and they go, oh, wow, I never knew these kind of, uh, you know, technology uh, items existed. And so then you under, they can kind of make a connection there. You can also build relationships like Frederica Wilson always wears floppy hats. She's a representative down in the Miami area. So we brought and she's a and she's a Democrat. So we brought a little a little donkey, which is the symbol for the Democratic Party, with a big floppy hat on it. She still has that on her bookshelf in her office. And every year when we would come, she and her in her LA would remember us from the year before. And we we weren't starting from square one. And and uh, in that particular LA, her last name was uh, Solo. Her grandmother had macular degeneration, so she could relate to our issues. So it. It's, it's about building relationships. It's about telling your stories. And uh, as Jim said, show and tell can be really important to just say, these are real uh, tangible things that we're talking about. And here's what they are. And here's how they change our lives. Thank you, Dan. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to move on to our next um question, our next area of discussion. And on this discussion will be Gabriel Lopez Cafati, Doug Hall, and Clark Rockville. And they are going to be discussing with us what are the most important musts and must nots when visiting any policymaker or their representative. And what should we be mindful of when striving to make the issue real and important to the person with whom we are meeting. Now, some of this was discussed in our last question, but there, but there are some things that we absolutely need to do and need to avoid. One of the things that we need to remember is that attention spans are very brief, <laughs> that we have a limited time and we either catch them, capture them, or we don't. So I put this question in because I think what happens in the office in terms of communication, how we communicate, what we do, how to pick up on what the person seems to be doing. And so let's have some experts um, talk to us about this. And we'll start with Gabriel. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks for calling me an expert. <laughs> uh, I think we are. I think we are. A very good friend of mine says that we are the real life experts. So um, first of all, um, I like to keep everything within a balance. So I think uh, balance is the very first key. Once you go in, um, you know, be confident because you know that, uh, like I said earlier, um, we are constituents, and like it has been said earlier, these are em- our employees. But don't be cocky, you know. Be humble, and uh, be humbled by the experience that you have and the opportunity that you have to walk into these offices and uh, have your voice heard. So that's the first balance. I think another balance is, uh, like Debbie mentioned, be mindful of time. We don't want to be too succinct that we do not get our point across, but we don't want to be too lengthy that we're going to bore them. Uh, because they have probably their agendas are packed with at least do- a couple of dozen uh, appointments of other people bringing issues to their desk. 
Um, so, so we want to make the most of our time. Um, talking about the subject of expertise, uh, don't try to sound lawyerly or too complicated. Just speak with natural terms. Uh, be knowledgeable about the subject, of course, uh, because most likely we, we will be knowledgeable because it's uh, items or it's issues that affect all of us. Um, but but don't try to complicate or overcomplicate things by putting in or throwing in lawyerly words that probably will just confuse you and will confuse your audience. And um, do your homework is very important. Don't overdo it in a you know way that it's going to sound kind of mechanical. Make it sound natural and let it flow. But uh, do your homework. Uh, for example, if you know, like Dan was putting uh, excellent examples, and I've I had the pleasure of going with many people, including Dan and Leslie and Sheila on Capitol Hill. Um, and we met with people from both parties. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not about political affiliation. It's more about doing your homework in terms of which uh, representative belongs to which committee, for example. Uh, if you know that you have a representative that belongs to the Appropriations Committee, then focus on the financials, on the money part of it. Uh, if you know that a that a, um, a, a specific representative belongs to a transportation committee, then focus more. If we have three imperatives, we focus with that person more. We give more attention to the one where we know that they're going to have the most impact once they take our imperatives to the floor or once they decide to support or sponsor a bill that we are proposing. So do your homework and uh, make sure that you, that, you, that you know who you're talking to. And um, I think the last uh, portion that I'm going to say is talk about a little bit about flexibility. Uh, be flexible many times. Uh, this is, you know, talking when we have met in person. Um, you know, many times they're so busy that we have to meet in the hallway. Don't sound disgruntled just or, or, or don't take it personal just because you have to meet in a hallway or just because they tell you um, Congresswoman or Congressman is 15 minutes late. Um, can we reaccommodate? Can you wait? Can we push? Can you push the appointment? You know, and talk about flexibility. You know, one of the first things that we've been talking about when we go to Capitol Hill has been your physical presence, firm handshake. Well, hello, handshakes are off the charts now. You know, handshakes are, I'm sorry, off the table now. There's no handshake. Even if we were to go in person, there's no handshake. So be flexible in terms of how do you express that connection with the person if there's not a handshake well you know a nice very firm very confident but very very educated and polite hello and uh, always involve a very personal touch you know always involve personal stories like has been said and also bring up uh, anecdotes anecdotal experiences of you know relating to the imperatives that we're bringing is very important and uh, keep it personal uh, without going into you know uh, too much detail without overdoing it. Uh, but again, you know, that balance between all those uh, elements that I mentioned, I think will make it for a very, very successful and uh, very positive and powerful and very impactful uh, interaction with the representatives or with their assistants. Doug, you're up next. And if you don't mind, you have such success 
meeting with um, on a local and state level with groups, like with county commissioners or city councilors or um, the, the disability groups. Talk to us about how you how you work those meetings, how you meet the people, how you get an in, what you do that causes them to say when when public comment comes up and, and you rise to your feet and Nancy to to say your piece. What what have you done ahead of time to make them say, I, I need to listen to these people? So could you talk about that a little bit? Boy, did you did you read my notes or something? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um, actually, I just what I was going to talk about. Anyway, Good. I wanted to say that that uh, Dan, um, I'm glad. I think it was Jim that you mentioned um, about preparing. Preparation is so important. Um, you know, we're talking here about legislative going to the hill, but there's so much that we have to do to get ready to go to the person on the hill. Debbie's correct. We have very little time to present our issues to the LA or to the rep or whatever it is. It's very important that number one, I recommend we send ahead of time information so they can become aware of what we want to talk about so that they're not sitting there wondering what the heck are you talking about? Um, I think that's important. But back to what you were asking, Debbie, to me, it is very important for us to develop good rapport with the person that we're trying to influence. Uh, walking into somebody's office cold is going to do nothing. Um, as far as I'm, my, I have found over the years that what works best for me is for me to develop a rapport with the person so they respect me so that they look for instance uh, you mentioned debbie when i go to the commission's office i i go to the commission and stand up to speak they pay attention because they all know me i've talked with them offline all, out of the meeting i've gone to their offices talking about other issues so they know where i'm coming from they respect me as an advisor as an advocate and when they do that it makes things much easier to get their cooperation, to get things that you want. The other thing I want to comment on, which helps, and I have found helps, is that if I am out there working with others and I help them to get what they want, I find that they're willing to help get what I want. So it's, it go, it's, it's a question of numbers. A uh, number of years ago, we were trying to get night bus service in Volusia County and it wasn't happening. Well, we got groups like the Hotel Association and others to support us. So instead of 10 people who are blind going to the county council asking for what do we want, we had 4,000 names. You can bet they paid attention. Again, we developed a rapport. We developed a relationship with other groups to work with us to get things done. I think it's very important to do that. I think a lot of people underestimate the importance of doing that. The other thing is that when I am requesting some someone to do something, I'm usually listening to what that person is saying and I try to respond based on what that person's opinion is. Um, it may be a little different than what I want, but hey, if I get them to move in the right direction, that's what counts. That's, that's important. Um, the other thing I, uh, to add to what you were saying, Debbie, is that over the years, I have found being involved in a number of organizations helps because I learn. But the other thing is, 
the more organizations I'm involved with that I can participate in, the more people I get to know, the more people who get to know me. So when I want something, there are more people that I have influenced um, and I, I can have more success. Thank you so much, Doug. And remember, people, if you have a lot of members or some members that want to do this, you can, you can send them out to the various different organizations, too. Clark, would you like to back clean up on this? Well, Debbie, there's really not much left to say. Uh, I think back to uh, our colleague at the ECB National Office, Tony Stevens, and how he always says, be brief, be brilliant, and be gone. <laughs> um, and, th- and that really ties into a lot of uh, what Gabriel and Doug have already spoken to. I will add, though, that to Gabe's earlier points about uh, being educated on an issue, um, he- he's right. You don't need to be the expert. It's okay to say, I don't know. But that's only half of the the correct response, right? It's, I don't know, but I can find out and get back to you. And if it is a technical question or a question that involves expertise or data, it's always good to, like Doug's saying, to be building your network and to have the the resources, whether that's from the state affiliate, the national office, or partner organizations, those experts that you can lean upon to answer those specific technical questions. Um, And also, you know, in being truthful and honest, again, you know, at the heart of the ECB core values. Um, it's okay to, to let folks know that you don't have all the answers, but that you do have personal experience that are impacted by these issues. To Gabe's point about having a you know, positive and powerful presence, you know, that really comes from confidence, being comfortable in your own skin, being comfortable and confident as an ECB member, you know, knowing who you are, you're again, you're the expert in you. So no one can tell you whether what you've experienced in your life is, is true or false. So it's becoming comfortable telling your own story and speaking to your lived experiences in our virtual environment. This is true when meeting in person, but this will be true in a virtual environment as well. Uh, basically dress for success, be prepared, be professional, and really let your audience know that, uh, that you are a, a serious and professional person and that you take these issues seriously. You know, if we're doing these over Zoom, okay, you know, wear a, a dress or a shirt and tie. Um, you know, as, as long as you look professional from the waist up, that's, that'll be what matters on the, the virtual meeting platform. And then one thing I, I did not hear and that I cannot stress enough, when we do these meetings, when we raise these issues, when we meet new individuals or make new contacts, the importance of follow-up and providing feedback. You know, if, a, if a Hill meeting happens and no one sends a, an after-action report or it's not documented, you know, did, did the meeting really happen? Um, so we really want to know, and it, it's great for you all on the local level to know who you met with, what the outcomes were, what the reactions were. Are there any action items that came from that meeting to keep building that relationship and to grow your influence as a trusted and valued resource for the individuals with whom you're speaking with and the connections that you're making for your advocacy efforts? Very nice. All of you, thank you so much. 
And one of my very first mentor, when I began stumbling into this world of disability rights advocacy, said, if you don't have written outcomes from the meeting or you haven't taken minutes or whatever you want to call it, in reality, you never met. So that is just extremely important. We are now going to move on to another aspect. Yes, you have about nine minutes. Are we till nine? Mm, I don't believe so. Unless no, we are. are. Seven thirty. We're till nine. nine. It's till nine. Okay. Yes. Yes. Hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, We are now going to move on to a more complete look at follow-up because everything that Clark said about follow-up is extremely true. But if you take um, our um, eyeglass initiative that we have worked on so long with the Medicare thing, um, how many years have we done this? And we cannot, we have to keep following up. If something is that important, many times that gets pushed back. And so we've got to figure out how do we follow up in a way that people won't just slam the door in our faces, but will keep an initiative up close and personal in their minds. So we're going to ask Clark and Jeff and Jim to talk to us about the essential components of meaningful ongoing follow-up. And we're and um, guys, please feel free to use examples from your own um, experiences. But follow-up is so important. Every year that we repeat a, comp- a legislative imperative, guys, people in the national office and some of us as well have done work on it during the year. So we can't just go out in a blaze of glory and when it falls apart or doesn't get where we want it to go, take our marbles and go home. So gentlemen, let's, let's talk about this because this too is extremely important. Jeff, you want to start? Sure, and this is very important. But actually, in order to have good follow-up, it really begins when you have the visit or whatever type of personal um, advocacy you are doing. You need to, number one, make sure, and this is going to be even more difficult during the virtual one because you don't won't get the business card, so you need to make sure that you get the email and the phone number for whoever it is that you're going to be talking to. And the other thing you need to do is to tell them. You know, not only do you want to tell them what your ask is, and we always have asks for these legislative seminar imperatives, but you also want to tell them it is my intention to follow up with you or, and if you're not the person, tell me who is the person that I ought to follow up with. Because, you know, sometimes, I hate to say it, but I think most of you know it, sometimes these visits to them are like something they have to do and they're willing to blow you off. And you may not even know it till it happens or you may not even know it if they're really good even after it happens. So you have to make sure you get the name of, of, if it isn't them, you need to know who it is that you ought to follow up with and nail them to the wall during the visit on that, on that point, if, if they'll give it to you. Um, then you need, obviously, to fill out your reports to the national office. And I've been guilty of not getting them all done on occasion. So I'll tell you, it's really important and, it, and you have to do it. And that's why it is important, as Debbie said, to take your notes immediately. This year, in a big state like Florida and California, it'll be a little easier 
because you won't have to do as many appointments potentially um, each individual and you'll have time perhaps between appointments to take some good notes on your visit and prepare those reports. So that'll make it a bit easier, I think. And then of course, when you say you're going to send them an email or whichever mode of communication they prefer, you need to do it. You need to do it when you say you're going to do it. You also need to, if you come up with other documentation that answers questions for which you didn't have an answer, be sure you send them the answer. Be sure you give them whatever documents you can come up with. If you then email them and they don't get back to you, and oftentimes they don't, follow up with a phone call. Finally, I just end with this, whether you have success or not in this particular visit and follow-up, try to connect with them, either the staff or the representative, in the off-season when Congress is out of session. Because that's when you can really build that relationship that Dan is talking about, is when the pressure's off for them and when you don't have to demand something of them and you, they can get to know you. So with that, I think I'll leave it to the others. Okay. Mr. Clark, you want to move? say your things about this? Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and thank you, Jeff, for the points that you raised. Um, I think one thing that I would like to add here, and, and Jeff touched on it a little bit as well, um, and kudos to you, Jeff, for finding the silver lining in doing virtual Hill meetings. You know, Before, we used to have to plan on say one meeting every hour, because you never knew if that meeting was going to be 15 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, it it might be a a hurry up and wait situation, but then you had to factor how much time it would take you to get to your next meeting. Well, now your next meeting is just a a click and a link away. So how lucky, how lucky are we thanks to the, this virtual meeting format? Um, one thing that I thought was interesting and that I, I think is really relevant for for this year, you know, not only do we have the ability to contact our members and representatives and follow up with them on the national level, um, but we also have the ability to do it, and we, we always have, but on, on the local level as well. Um, so again, whether it's working with a, a priority and an imperative that requires building that relationship on the national level. Uh, we have the capability to do that. But also, if you are taking a, a page out of Doug Hall's playbook, uh, we also have the ability to do that on the local level. And, and like Jeff said, being able to follow up and work with and build relationships with the in-state and in-district offices as well. Okay. Thank you, Clark. Mr. Crot, you good to go? You should be. Mm-hmm. Jim? Yes. Uh, basically, you need to understand that these legislators and legislative aides see many, many lobbying groups every single day. And the question that I ask, besides is my issue of key relevance and importance and moving and necessary is how can you stand out and be both different and remembered? Um, Let's talk about thank yous. Um, I think we 
all tend to take thank yous for granted. But a thank you is a written form that gets in front of that person, whoever it is that you're going to get back to is going to be. A written thank you or a callback thank you is something where you can make an extra special added uh, statement. Personal letters are much better than form letters. Um, I I was thinking about this afternoon, and I, I kind of threw something into my repertoire and throw it back to this group. What about including a Braille copy of your response when you send your thank you letter for something different that might be remembered? I've never done it, but it's just a thought. Um, What will make an impact uh, more than just a form letter or a quick, uh, simple thank you? You've got to do something to try to stand out. You've got to be persistent with your follow-up emails and your phone calls. Not pesty, but persistent if you can do that. The early and persistent bird will eventually get the worm if a worm is to be gotten, it's always a good philosophy. Referring others to intervene, to continue your dog dialogue and provide for additional support and reinforcement can be vital. This is where utilizing the national office as backup um, after your meeting when questions have been raised or when backup has been, you know, uh, backup has been suggested or hinted at gives you an opportunity to get that extra bite at the apple. And uh, we have the best uh, in our national office, and to get them an opportunity to get back in and take an additional shot at that legislator or legislative assistant is of vital importance. Um, this is why your notes, your feedback forms, and your ongoing contact with your uh, interviewer on the Hill is so very important. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And um, I just want to add that sometimes when follow-up, local offices of our members mostly deal with local issues of their members. They're really not, for the most part, involved with the federal, the legislative imperatives and initiatives that are brought forward in Congress. But one way that they can be used, I know there was a senator I couldn't get an appointment. I couldn't get an appointment. And um, number one, I have a reputation to to protect. No, seriously, I really, we really wanted to, we really wanted to see this person. So I called the local office and I got this very sweet person and I told my tale of woe. And I said, we've always been to the senator's office and we can't get in. And we, we just want to speak with one of the serve the senator's legislative assistants. We're not asking. We'd love to meet with him, but we know his busy schedule. Is there something you can do? The next day, I had the name of somebody in the Washington, D.C. office to call, and I got my appointment and got my got my the team that I had assigned to it, got it done. So remember, there's many ways we can use the local offices of our 
our members of Congress, of our particular congressional delegations. So that is that is very, very important. Okay, we are now Debbie, going. Yes, go ahead. Oh, go. This is go Clark. Ahead. Just one, one more item before we move on. Uh, as we are working to educate and advocate on these issues, we're building these relationships, we're following up and becoming a you know, familiar face and a reliable contact for our policymakers. It may be that the issue that we are advocating for um, doesn't gain traction or it doesn't move. But when there comes a policy that does impact our community, you know, if listening to Dan talk about the work that he and Leslie have been doing uh, on Hill visits and meeting with legislatures, if a blindness issue comes up, I wonder who those offices would think to contact. You know, who who is memorable from the relationships that they have built? So even if the advocacy issue that we might be advocating on today uh, doesn't bear fruit you know, today or tomorrow, maybe it will in the future, uh, but there might be other issues that come up. And by advocating and building those relationships, uh, we can ensure that our affiliates and that our community are well represented when it comes time for those other issues to be addressed. Thank you, Clark. And I just want to add, too, um, it is so important. ACB in the past, and I know they will this time, too, always gives us a wonderful um, bullet bullet formed um, explanations of our legislative imperatives. They give all of the contact information that the LAs will need to reach out to the national office. And we always put in that folder a contact list for all of the people that are doing Hill visits so that our our LAs or with whomever we speak know that they can reach a local person in Florida. Um, I also want to say that one of the advantages of doing it virtually is we can make sure that in every Hill visit, there's somebody from that member's district. Sometimes I've gotten a little bit of pushback because they say, well, we, we just want to see somebody from our district. And I have to say, we have members from every district in this state. We do not have the money nor the ability to bring somebody from a large state from every district. And I would hate to tell our members in your district that you refused to see the person that is representing them. So that is very important too. But this time, there will be somebody from every district on the team that is doing the virtual call if we can possibly make that happen. And that is another great advantage of the virtual visits. Okay. So, so this is Jeff. I, I want to quickly throw out a challenge to Florida from California. We have almost 30 members that have already signed up on my list that I'm keeping for the legislative seminar. And I challenge California to, to Florida to beat us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take that challenge. All right. <laughs> and, and, and Jeff, this is Dan. And I want to throw a, even a challenge out to our chapters in Florida. Um, the Greater Orlando Council of the Blind chapter at our meeting Saturday uh, voted to actually pay the $20 registration fee for any of our members that uh, participate in this session tonight 
or listen to the podcast and are interested in participating in the DC leadership meetings. And we really believe, like Debbie says, this is such a unique opportunity for us to have a true member in each district. So when we talk to Charlie Chris from from Pinellas County, let's have somebody from the Pinellas County chapter that's part of that team. You know, when we talk to Diaz Ballard from Miami, let's get somebody from Miami that's part of that team. I think it's really, really doable. And it's going to be very powerful. And I think it's going to introduce just so many people to this process that haven't had a chance to participate in the past. Amen, brother. Preach it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What we're going to do now is I know there are things that our panelists have longed to say to everyone who is listening live or will be listening to the podcast that I did not include in the in the topics um, that we have addressed tonight. So we're going to give every panelist an opportunity to have a last word. And I'm going to start out with Gabriel Lopez Cafati. Thank you, Debbie. I knew you would. (laughs) 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 Because Debbie is always um, upholding my story. And I'm sorry for those of you who have heard me one, two, three, five, ten times. You will hear me yet another time. (laughs) And I will say it till the day I die. I am a proud, naturalized citizen of this great nation. And um, I have seen the other side of the coin. I have seen the part of the world and I have lived in the part of the world where lawmaking does not correspond to the interests or the life stories of those who have elected the people who are in power and who are making laws that will govern our nation. I have been living in a country in which, you know, many years ago where where lawmaking definitely uh, definitely attend different interests. When I became a citizen in 2015 and I was presented with the opportunity of going into Capitol Hill and actually influencing the lawmaking process and bringing my story to make sure that as a constituent, I was taken into consideration by our representatives when they went to the floor either to sponsor or co-sponsor a bill or vote uh, yay or nay in favor or against a bill. I said, sign me up. And with the um, uh, opportunities and the advantages that we get through our state affiliates and through the American Council of the Blind, uh, with all these, uh, you know, take, having having the benefit of them taking care of all the logistical aspects. I know I'm I'm, I'm speaking on a on a very pampered perspective because Debbie is the best when it comes to scheduling appointments. Um, but ACB also. Uh, like was said before, it also makes a, an amazing job at training us and at giving us all the tools that we need to go on Capitol Hill. So knowing that I had that opportunity, I have never, ever uh, been able to um, to just not take advantage of it. Because to me, I know what it is when uh, lawmakers go in and do their job without taking me in consideration. So having the opportunity of having my voice, voice heard... Um, is, is, is something invaluable. So I, I invite you and I and I ask all of you listeners to treasure this because this is a, a golden opportunity. This is something that is invaluable and that is a privilege that you cannot squander with. 
I want to share a couple of uh, very quickly, very a couple of uh, very interesting um, anecdotes um, and no political affiliation brought forth. You know, it is what it is. The facts are the facts. Uh, one of my uh, very, very special moments on Capitol Hill where, you know, you, you realize how much you are a part of the system is was when I was waiting at, I believe it was Val Deming's office, and I was with Dan and Leslie, Sheila and Patty. And, and a girl comes up to me and she says, I know you, you're Gabriel. And I said, how can someone in Capitol Hill know me? And she told me, um, I am, I, you know, I, I was a fellow in the Democratic uh, Party and we canvassed together in 2016. And she says, I remember you and your dog's name is Posh. And I said, oh, my God, yes. And, uh, you know, that it was so amazing. I started crying to, to, to know that I have made an impact and that someone in Capitol Hill knowed me, knows me and remembers me. Um, I had mentioned earlier a little bit about flexibility. I know this is not the ideal and hopefully, uh, thank God that I'm not in person because probably Clark would throw something at me if I say this in person. But flexibility goes as far as sometimes... It's more about the relationships and about the impression that you cause than about the actual imperatives that you have. I know this is not the ideal and I'm not trying to, you know, to just debunk everything that we just said during the past hour. And so, but I've had experiences and I'm going to mention them by name. Um, Debbie McCursell Powell and uh, Ileana Rose Lettening where we went in and we were in meeting in a meeting with their uh, legislative aides. And they came in from session from the floor and they asked me, oh, my God, what a beautiful dog. Can I play with it? Can I play with her? And I said, her name is Posh. And I you know, took advantage of the opportunity to educate them on guide dog etiquette. Um, I was not a stickler. And I said, absolutely. Let me take her harness off so that she can understand that she's on play mode or she's free to, to talk or she's free to play. She's free to do whatever. Um, and they spent the entire time that we were allotted with them playing with posh at the end of the meeting they said uh, to their legislative aides they said whatever they brought forth just sign me sign me on it say yes you know I'll, I'll sign off on whatever they brought forth just because i allowed them a little moment between you know their busy schedule and hectic schedule on the floor to play with a the dog they were they were so they they had fostered that relationship with us and they had seen that there's real people, blind people with guide dogs or canes that are here in their office and had traveled from across the country to bring an imperative. So so that that was a relationship that we built. That was an impression that we made. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it probably not in the most orthodox method, but but it got our point across and it got our. Uh, mission accomplished. So just remember to be flexible, to be personal, and always to value and treasure this opportunity because it is unique. And uh, those there's many, many, many billions of people in other parts of the world who do not have the opportunity of being a part of the process by which laws that govern their lives are brought forth. Thank you, Gabriel. Jeff, would you like to say some last words? Sure, just a couple quick things. Not nowhere near as impressive as uh, Gabe's, but but um, the reason I became an advocate. Many people asked me that, and <clears throat> when I before I joined the organized blind movement, when I was in grad school, I was shy. I was introverted. 
I, I academically did fine, but I felt vastly inferior to the sighted world. And it was the, and it was blind people that brought me out of that malaise that taught me that I could have, you know, self-esteem and value. And so I always recognize that the organized blind movement, just as we have done during this pandemic in ACB, has given far more to me than I'll ever give back. And that's the reason that I become such an advocate and will continue to do it as long as I can. The the one little anecdote I want to share is um, my first legislative seminar back, I don't know, I think it's 1989 or something, um, was in an elevator. My wife and I were in an elevator with her guide dog and a gentleman by the name of Dick Army who was then a young yeah. Republican congressman and who from Texas and who ultimately became the majority leader, the majority whip, or one of the two anyway. Um, he took all sorts of time to, you know, pet my wife's guide dog and to talk about dogs because he had his own goldens or whatever. And I may never have agreed with one iota uh, on an issue that, that Dick Army ever presented, but I'll always remember him as one of the nicest guys I could ever meet. So just remember that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, did Doug leave or is he, or is he back? Um, I have not he, heard him come back. He is not. Yeah, he's not here. Okay, very good. Okay, let's move on to Mr. Crot then. Go ahead, Jim. Um, the first thing I want to say is the first time I went to advocate uh, even though I'm in front of pe- I was professionally in front of people arguing positions and defending positions every day, was I was nervous. You know what, guys? It's okay to be nervous. You're not alone. Uh, everybody that cares about what they're doing and how they're doing it is nervous. You know, I was not a proponent of legislative advocacy for FCB. Uh, when I was involved and active with FCB years back, probably when Ms. Grubb was president, I was much more concerned about the fiscal uh, situation for FCB. And I kind of thought we were spending too much money sending people up to Washington every year to have a good time. Uh, and I gave Debbie and others a pretty hard time about their continued um, budget allocations until I went to Washington, D.C., and until I witnessed how important it is, as Gabriel says, to be there, to be a part of your American democratic, democratic processes and to make a difference. When I walked into the office one day of one of the legislators and saw the name of one of my law clerks on the door as an aide. I couldn't believe it either. Like Gabriel, I was dumbfounded. Little did I know that he saw my name and would be the one that we would be meeting with. And yes, it made a difference (laughs) in the audience that we got. You never know where a day will take you and what that day will bring. But there is nothing in my opinion, as I have learned over the years, that is any more important than the work we do with our state, local, 
and federal officials in advocating for what we want, what we need, and what we believe in. Thank you. Here, here. Glad we and, changed. And Debbie, mind. now you really do have ten minutes. <laughs> the real ten minutes. We're moving. We're moving right along. Okay, um, Mr. Rockfall. What about your last words? Uh, my last words are that I am thankful to be part of an organization that has such strong advocates as Gabriel and Jeff and Jim, as well as. You know, Debbie, you and Sheila for helping pull this event together tonight. Um, I think it's great to see how advocacy has impacted our members, um, the value they drive from the positive work to improve you know, their community and lives for all ACB members. Uh, you know, sometimes it's it's easy. When you're in the the DC bubble, you know you can get jaded. You can hit your head up against that wall trying to push forward an issue. You know, even though you know that it, on average, about ten thousand pieces of legislation are introduced every year, and only about six hundred get passed. And mm-hmm. on average, it takes a bill about eight years to become a law in the United States. Um, so, hearing the the energy and the enthusiasm and the personal experiences of our members uh, really helps give me energy and purpose working for ACB. So uh, just thank you to everyone who's been involved here tonight. And I challenge, I extend a challenge out to everyone who's listening. If you've never been part of a legislative seminar before, please join us this year. You know, take, take Dan up on his offer. Take Jeff up on his, his matching offer out there in California. You know, Register, attend, ask questions, uh, and empower yourselves to impact your local and broader communities. So again, thank you to everyone. Thank and you, Debbie. Clark. I do see Doug Hall back in the audience. I'm not okay. sure if that's okay. him or not, but all right. Let's just um, let's just um, Dan. Why don't you um, say your last words? Okay. Uh, thank you, Debbie, and I, I just want to say. <clears throat> For somebody who, just like everybody else, the first time I went 10 or 11 years ago to the Hill, Leslie and I were very nervous. We had Paul Edwards and Debbie Grubb to guide us. <clears throat> but once we got there, it was just fun, and it was ex- exhilarating, and it was and really impactful. And I have to tell you, it, it really became real this week, uh, you know, uh, last week on Wednesday, uh, when we had the, the situation at the Capitol and listening to representatives that were hunkered down in their in their offices in the Cannon Building and the Rayburn Building and the Capitol Police. And, you know, I'm just we we we're there. We've been there. We go there every year. It was just so, so strong and so meaningful and so, you know, concerning and sad to me. And it, it really it really does make a difference what the American Council of the Blind and the Florida Council of the Blind does. And and I completely agree with Jim. Until I went the first time, it's like, oh, but once you go, once you get involved, you, you'll keep going and you'll keep participating year after year because it's, it really is, it's just, 
it's juice. It's it's energy. It's it's why why we're why we're an organization and why and and how much we can make a difference. And they do remember us, and it's kind of cool. Thank you, Dan. Um, Sheila, as our president, um, I want to publicly thank Sheila for helping us with the logistics of this call and getting this broadcast on ACB Radio and our dear community group organizer, Cindy, for her patience and kindness and enthusiastic acceptance of um, my ask that we be able to do this. Thank you all so very much. Sheila, as our president, is there anything, and, and having been to the Hill a couple of times now, is there anything that you would like to say in closing? I I say that everything that you have heard tonight is so true. It it is genuinely exciting and inspiring to meet these LA's legislative aides and just learn a little bit about them because a lot of times they do have a mother or a grandmother that's got vision impairment and they really get impressed with hearing about some of the issues and they sit there and go, Oh, we didn't, we didn't know that. We didn't have a clue about talking books or, um, you know, transportation or anything else that we take to them. So it is important. And I do hope, and I'm, I'm willing to take Jeff up on his challenge um, (laughs) that I do hope that Florida council will have I mean, on the call tonight, we've had at least 20 FCB members, which is thrilling to me. And I just thank you all for taking part in this. Thank you, Debbie, for taking the time to organize it and for coming up with the idea. And I appreciate everybody that came and has been um, speaking because you guys are just so knowledgeable and I get more impressed every year. So thank you. Thank you, Sheila. We are just about out of time. Doug Hall, if you are in the on the thing, raise your hand. We'll give you a quick minute for a word. And if you're not able to, thank you for the valuable comments and, and um, that you brought to us. I do not see Doug's hand okay. raised. All right, then I'm going to say a final word, and um, we will we will be moving on because we're just about out of time. I want to. And when I first began this walk in the advocacy world, the first official of any importance I really meant was a senator from the state of Maryland, a state senator named Barbara Hoffman. And because I had a guide dog and she loved her dog, Sydney, we became very good friends. And also I was a friend of someone with quadriplegia, who she had become very close to and very interested in moving the initiatives that he and our group brought forward. And I remember one day, I was so nervous, I was going to go up before the Senate committee to talk about something. And I walked up there and she said to everybody, I read her testimony. It is great. Listen to what she has to say. Now, she did that because I was young and inexperienced and probably obviously quite nervous. I bring this up to say that no matter what the party affiliation, we work with people. They're in office. 
We have the right to vote our choices, to support the candidates of our choice, but we do ourselves a great deal of harm if we do not find some common ground with members and work with them to the best of our ability. Both Jeff and Doug pointed that out, and it is so important. We go back to the polls and we vote again. But we shoot ourselves in the foot if we say, well, I'm not working with that person because of the letter that they have after their name on the legislative um, register, which is a D or an R. So just remember that and ask yourself, whose face, whose voice am I going to be to someone who has never met a blind person before? What will my story mean? And so please please, please consider joining us and being a part of this with us. And we will look forward to seeing you all later on in February as we join in with ACB and their wonderful training. And for now, from all of us here at FCB, thank you again for coming. And with just a couple of seconds to spare, we wish you all a wonderful and fond good night. Thank you, everyone.